Well, back in uh, October of 2019, Sean and I had the opportunity to attend a retreat for pastors in Michigan. It was a wonderful time uh, just to get away and kind of get refilled and, and encouraged. Um, but one of the things, we had some free time while we were there, and uh, just very close to about a, I don't know, 30 minute, maybe it was 45 minutes, I don't remember exactly how far the drive was. We were in southern Michigan in northern Indiana is an Amish community called Shipshawana. Anybody ever been there by chance? I'm just curious if anybody, maybe not. Uh, there are several Amish communities I know around the country. This, this one we went and it was fascinating to see. In fact, uh, I went back and I didn't have any pictures that I took myself, but here is one picture taken from that community. And this is the kind of thing that we saw regularly as we're driving through, uh, through this community and just seeing people, you know, in the horse-drawn carriages and those kinds of things. And if you're not familiar with Amish communities, they, they don't rely on any kind of technology, including automobiles, uh, you know, computers, phones. Some even uh, don't have running water and electricity. It depends on the group. But it's, it's really fascinating to me to uh, just be a part and be kind of exposed to a different way of life. And I don't know if that has, has interested you at all, but I just did a little more looking this week into uh, some of the Amish communities. And there was an article online in theguardian.com from a couple of years ago. A guy by the name of Daniel Weaver, he was 52, year old, 52 years old at the time. He, uh, of course, didn't own a car, didn't read a paper, didn't listen to music, didn't do anything associated with the outside world. And yet he granted an interview, and this is one of the things that he said. He said, our values are different and we choose to safeguard them. But if our people get lax and rub elbows too much with the world, then the world may not look too different. We become like the people outside. Now, you, you might be surprised to know that Amish communities are actually growing at a fairly rapid rate. In 1989, there were 100,000 of them in 179 different settlements. But a recent study has now shown that there are 330,265 Amish living in 546 settlements. And the predictions are that this number will reach about a million by 2050. So there are those that are, you know, Growing and of course it grows internally a little bit as well. That's part of the part of the plan. Uh, but the author of this article invited uh, was invited by Mr. Weaver to dinner with his family, and I thought this was interesting too. One of the things that he told him was this: He said, "I feel you can be trusted, so you're sitting at my table. But on a friendship level, our values are very different. We would not mix with you because if our children came to your home, they might sit and watch television." Now. We might hear that, and that might sound completely absurd to us to think, you know, that, that just is, is totally ridiculous. But I, I do think it's important to at least understand the heart behind it. There was another older Amish gentleman by the name of Sam who described his concerns this way. He said, I can see the big changes, talking about technology, computers, phones, that kind of thing. I can see the big changes they have brought to society, which my children will never see. There is more independence on the individual level, but people have become more selfish. Everything is for themselves. We value, talking about the, the Amish values, we value the idea of working for the betterment of everyone. Christ said we are to be a light to the world. We're not saying we want everyone to be Amish or that we are better, but our goal in a selfless society is to show people that it works if we're honest in our dealings, respect people, and go the extra mile. 
you know, there's definitely something to be said about not conforming to the world and being different. Um, from what I gather here, what he's saying is our strategy for being a light to the world is that we're going to become completely separate from the world so that they can see how different it is the way we live versus the way most other people live. Uh, I hear the heart behind it. I appreciate the, the heart behind it. However, uh, I, I tend to disagree with the strategy. In fact, the, the passage of Scripture that I want us to uh, jump into today in just a moment in 1 Corinthians to me says that if we're going to impact our community and our culture, then we need to at least be able to relate to people where they are. We're going to jump into that. In fact, this is priority number two. We're going through a list as we talk about refocusing. Five priorities for us as a church that I, I pray become five priorities for each of us individually. Last week we talked about the importance of us sharing the good news. And we said that it is up to us to invite people to Christ and to church. And by the way, I've heard a few stories already from people last week that said they were just really challenged and, and encouraged and inspired and have been more bold this week. So maybe you have a story like that as well. I'd love to hear it if you do. I, I pray that you are becoming more bold in sharing your faith and inviting people to come to church with you. Here's priority number two, and that is that we must relate to our community and culture. See, I believe these two are really tied together. If we're going to invite, if we're going to be able to share the good news, then we need to be able to connect. We need to be able to relate to our community and to our, our culture. Otherwise, I think it's going to be difficult for us to, uh, to, to really have an impact. And that's been our philosophy from day one. From the beginning of our church has been, how do we find ways to connect? Not to become like the world, but to connect with people that don't know Christ. Which, speaking of that, from the very beginning, did you know, by the way, that this year is the 20th year of existence for Gateway. So we're, we're planning a, a, a big celebration. We might have done it a little bit earlier in the year, but things are a little weird right now. So hopefully, maybe by August or so, we'll be a little bit more free to gather together in, in larger groups and things like that. But, um, but we're, somehow, one way or another, we're going to celebrate the fact that God has blessed us with 20 years together. But this has always been important to us from the very beginning. So I want you to open your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians 9 today. 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19, and I just want you to listen to the way Paul went about. We, we saw last week, we know that his heart is to share the gospel. We know that that was his passion. We read in, in his second letter to the Corinthians where he's saying things like, we implore you, on, you know, to be reconciled to God. Um, he had a passion for that, but how did he go about it? Verse 19, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. I mean, to me, it's, it's pretty clear uh, when you read that passage that his passion was to reach people with the gospel, but to do whatever was necessary, short of sinning or short of violating his own standards or God's standards of righteousness for him. He was wanting to do whatever he could to relate 
this gospel message to people around him. And so uh, he was bold. Now, now, here is where believers disagree. How do you go about sharing that gospel? You've got groups that are on an extreme, of course, but groups like the Amish that are like, we want to be completely removed. We're, we wouldn't allow our children to interact with their children because they might watch television. We don't want any risk of you you know, influencing our beliefs and our way. You've got that on one extreme. Then you've got some others that are just almost kind of like anything goes. You know, just tell people what they want to hear and give them what they want if that'll help them to receive Christ. The question is, how do we balance that? Because, you know, there is some balance there. I mean, there is something to be said for believers being unique and different, that our lives should look different from those that aren't believers, right? Right? I mean, the word itself, the word for, for church in the New Testament is the word ekklesia, which is made of two Greek words, ek, which means out of, and kaleo, which means called. We are called out. We are to be different. So the church should look different, but at the same time, the church should relate to its culture, in my opinion. This is what we see Paul doing here, so that people feel like, okay, I have something in common with them. You know, as fascinated as I am by the, the Amish, there's, they're not going to have any influence on me because I, I have nothing in common, right? I don't interact with them. I don't, unless I go and read something maybe or something, that's, that's a possibility. But it's more important for us to be able to actually interact with people. And so the bottom line of what I see Paul saying here, when he's talking about to the Jews, I became like a Jew, to the Gentiles, I became like a Gentile, that kind of thing. What he's saying is that he is removing the unnecessary obstacles to the gospel. I mean, that, that, to me, is, should be our mindset. As a follower of Christ and as a church, actually, both as an individual and together as, as the body of Christ, how do we go about sharing the gospel in such a way that unnecessary barriers are removed? Now, I want to emphasize the word unnecessary barriers to the gospel. Because there are some barriers to the gospel that we dare not attempt to remove. By unnecessary, I mean things that we add to it. But the Bible itself says that the message of the cross can be a stumbling block. We dare not try to change the message of the cross or the message about sin or judgment or anything else that is scriptural. We don't change those things. In fact, listen to what he said earlier in this same letter, 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 22. It says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God. So yeah, it can be a stumbling block, and we are not talking about that. We are not talking about making the gospel a me-centered message, which sometimes can happen as well, where it's all about that individual, and this is all about you and making your life better. I mean, yes, it's true that there are benefits to receiving Christ, and it does change us, and we should emphasize that. But ultimately, this is a God-centered message, not a human being-centered or a me-centered message. Um, and, and this is not a message of your life will be wonderful and you'll be rich and you'll never have problems if you choose to follow Christ. So those barriers, the barriers that come with the message itself, we, we dare not attempt to remove. But there are other barriers that we can remove that are unnecessary. Let me give you just a couple as we continue on with, with our, our, our passage today. 
Let me give you two things very practically that we can do to remove unnecessary barriers. The first one is to communicate clearly. It's important that we communicate clearly. Have you ever heard somebody uh, maybe seeking to talk about their faith, seeking to explain the gospel, and they were using terminology that if you weren't a church person, you wouldn't understand? Maybe they're talking about being saved or sanctified or washed in the blood of the Lamb or whatever it may be. And, and stop and think about that for a minute. For somebody that, that's not familiar with those things, they might just think, what in the world are you talking about? It's what, what I sometimes we call church speak. You need to avoid that, especially when communicating with somebody that maybe doesn't know who Christ is. We need to communicate clearly, communicate in a way that ordinary people can understand. You know, our family has had the opportunity a few times to vacation in Mexico. And one of the things that I enjoy doing when we're vacationing in Mexico is I enjoy trying to use a little bit of the Spanish that I learned back in college. I mean, there's still just a little bit left that generally I can communicate what I need to communicate to somebody in Spanish. The problem is, once I do that, they talk back to me in Spanish and I have absolutely no idea what they're saying. <laughs> I can say it, but I don't understand it very well. And so I'll say something and then they'll, you know, rattle something off. And all I hear is blah, 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 blah. I don't know what they're saying. Now, they may be communicating clearly enough, but they're using a language that I don't understand. And so when I do that, I kind of sheepishly look at them and say, in English, por favor. <laughs> Hoping that they can communicate in English, right? So I can know what they're saying. I referenced a, a book for you last week called Out of the Salt Shaker, which again, I would encourage you to get and read. Uh, that talks about us um, sharing the good news of Christ. But she, she tells a story in this book of having a conversation with somebody that wasn't a believer and, and just really was able to explain the gospel. And, and this girl, afterwards, she thanked her for taking the time to do that and to share this message with her. But then she said this. She said, and thank you for saying it in English. <laughs> I suspect that that girl had had conversations with other believers before that were speaking a language that seemed like something other than English. It's important for us when we communicate to be able to communicate clearly, just straightforward, avoid church speak. By the way, if you need a little extra lesson today, you can tell people one of the things that happened today when you came to church is that you learned a few phrases in a foreign language. I'm gonna give you a few translations of phrases in a foreign language, it's called Christianese, okay? So here, if you're not familiar with it, Here's what people really mean when they use certain churchy phrases. For example, if you hear someone say, she has such a sweet spirit, what that really means is, what an airhead. <laughs> you know, that's not my spiritual gift. Really means, find someone else to do it. <laughs> you just have to put it in God's hands. Really means, don't expect me to help you. God, if it be your will, means, God, I really don't think you're going to answer this one. Let's have a word of prayer. If you ever hear a pastor say that, here's the translation. I'm about to pray for a long, long, long time. And then if you ever hear somebody say, I just have a check in my spirit about him, what it really means is I can't stand that jerk. So, you know, there, there are a few things that we learn to cloak in certain spiritual language. And so now you know how to interpret what somebody really means when they say those things. But, you know, communicating clearly, it's important. It's important that, that, that we be able to, to speak in a way that people can understand. Again, same letter, 1 Corinthians, a little bit later in chapter 15, verses 3 through 5. I just want you to listen to how clearly and concisely 
Paul just sums up what the gospel message is. I think sometimes we have a way of overcomplicating things, but here's what he says. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. He's saying, look, here, here are the, and I understand there's a lot more complexity to the gospel. But he's saying, look, here's, here's the basics of the gospel message. Jesus came to this earth. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead and he appeared to people to prove that he was alive. That, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. And we need to be able to communicate clearly like that and c- clearly communicate what the heart of the gospel message is in ways that people can understand. And, and not only that, but just to be able to communicate in general uh, truths about Scripture in ways that people can understand. And you see throughout the Bible this happening over and over and over again. I mean, think about the way Jesus communicated. Jesus, in an agricultural society, told parables about seed being sown. You know, a a farmer went and scattered seed and talked about the different types of soil. That's something people could relate to. Think about Peter and Andrew, some of the the first disciples that Jesus called. It says that they were out casting their nets because they were fishermen. And what did Jesus say to them? He called to them and says, come follow me and I will make you what? I'll make you fishers of men. I mean, he's, he's, he's communicating in a way that they can understand, right? He's, he's meeting them on, on their turf. Acts chapter 17 is a great example of this to me. When Paul goes into the city of Athens, it says that he walked around. And in fact, in Acts 17, 16, it says that he was greatly disturbed because of all the idols that they had there. The people in Athens just... They had an idol for everything. They, they had all these multiple gods that they worshipped, but he noticed that they also had one idol that was addressed to the unknown God. And their thinking was, just in case we missed one, we're going to cover our bases by having this idol to the unknown God. Well, Paul sees that. And understanding where he's at, and it says he was very distressed by the fact that they worship all these idols. But I want you to notice, go back and read Acts 17. He doesn't, when he begins to, to speak to them, he doesn't come out and say, what is wrong with you fools for worshiping all these idols? They're not real. There's only one God. That's, that's not what he does. What he does is that he says, I've noticed you're very religious people, and I've noticed that there is one uh, idol to this, this, this God that they created to the unknown God. And he says, what you worship as unknown, I want to reveal to you. And then he goes in and he reveals how this is the one true God, the God who created heaven and earth. And it's, it's a brilliant way of what, what we might call contextualization, taking the message and putting it in terms that makes sense to people where they are. And that's what we should be all about. That's what we need to be about as a church. That's what we need to be about individually is communicating in a way that that people can understand. Now, I I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because two weeks from today, priority number four, we're going to talk about applying the Bible to real life. And so all of these kind of, you know, intermesh together and they kind of all all work together. Um, But it, it is such a shame to me to think that we have such a powerful message and sometimes that message doesn't get across or doesn't get communicated simply because we are not communicating clearly. You know, guys, there is power in this word. And I'll, I'll get to that again in a couple of weeks. We'll talk about that. But it's important for us to communicate it in a straightforward manner. And, and, and by the way, my goal always is, always has been, that if somebody walks into our church 
that has never stepped foot in church before, they're going to walk out saying, I understand what they believe. I understand what they're talking about. You shouldn't have to have a background in Scripture and church and understanding to be able to, for us to communicate clearly with people where they are. And so that's important. That's important for us uh, as a church. It's important for me. I think it's uh, important for you as you're communicating with people. Here's the second thing. So the first thing, then, in, un, in removing unnecessary barriers, we just need to communicate clearly. But the second thing, and really what we see Paul doing in this passage, we need to establish common ground. That's what he's doing here. He's saying for those that were under the law, I, I you know, kind of went along with them as if I were under the law, even though I really know that I've been set free from that. And he says for those that don't have the law, I, I went along more with that. Now, now, he said not that I'm free from Christ's law. It's not meaning that, that he sinned and violated God's law, but he's saying that, that, that if it was you know, something unnecessary, some type of ritual or something that the, that the strict Jewish people would say, you have to do this and follow this, but it wasn't really a part of, of God's truth. He's like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. So he was relating, he was finding common ground. What this does not mean is that we compromise God's standard of righteousness. It doesn't mean that we just become like people around us. There's a, a phrase, again, this is kind of a churchy phrase, so we'll explain what it means, but sometimes we talk about being in the world but not of the world. And, and what we mean by that is that, that we rub shoulders with, we interact with people that aren't believers without necessarily taking on those same characteristics. We, we, we hold to a different standard, but it's important for us to interact with them. It, it's important for us to work with unbelievers, it's important for us to uh, develop friendships, it's important if you have children, I mean, have your kids involved in, in, in sports leagues or dance or band or whatever it is where they're going to be with other unbelievers, where you can develop relationships. I mean, it's, it's important for us to do that. Sometimes we can get so isolated and we just pull ourselves out so much uh, that, that it's like we don't have any relationships with anybody that doesn't know Christ. We need that. We, we, we need to be able to do that. And, and so establishing common ground is a great way to do that, to, to find things that we have in common, things that, that we can share together. Paul's doing that here with these different groups of people, and I, I just want to challenge you with that and ask you that question. In what way are you intentional about establishing common ground with somebody that's, that's not a believer? Is there some way that you can connect? Um, think about what that does and how those barriers are often brought down when you can establish common ground with somebody. You know, if you're traveling, for example, and, you know, you meet somebody from your hometown and you're in another part of the country or maybe even in another country altogether and you meet somebody that lives in Wiley or Saxe or, you know, Allen or, or wherever, but some, somewhere right around this area, and you're going to be like, oh, wow, we, you know, there, there's a bond there, right? It's kind of like you feel a connection because you share something in common with that person. So sometimes we just need to be intentional about establishing those types of common ground. That's a great way uh, for us to, to uh, be able to take those barriers, to break those barriers down. Let me tell you one other just kind of a specific thing for us as a church. That, that we're intentional about that I think helps us establish common ground and it's often overlooked. And, and that is our desire to have fun and to laugh a lot when we come together. You know, one of the perceptions that I had 
as a young child before I came to faith in Christ was that Christians were just really serious all the time and they didn't have much fun. And since then, I've discovered that's not true. You know, we are filled with, with an incredible joy. But it's amazing what laughter does to bring down barriers. I mean, there's a reason. One of our, our primary slogans that we use as a church is that we're a fun place to get serious about God. Both of those are important. I mean, we have fun, but we take God very seriously. But it's amazing when you can laugh together or when you can do something. You know, it, it just how those, those barriers begin to come down. And so that's a great way to do that. And I would encourage you to, um, to, to develop relationships with people where you can just you know, have fun and do things and, and laugh and, and see if that doesn't um, allow you to establish some common ground together. Another part of that, establishing that, that common ground, just, this is more, I guess, uh, from a church perspective, but is, is being what I would just call culturally relevant. Um, I think it's important for us as followers of Christ to be unique in who we are. People notice there's something different about our character and things like that, but I think it's also important for people to feel like, well, I can relate to them. They're not like the Amish you know, that are so radically removed and different that I just, I feel like I have nothing in common with, I, I think that's important. And it always has been important to me as a church that, that we have that ability to kind of connect with people where they are. You ever had an experience where you walked into church and you felt like you just got out of a time warp and you'd gone back 50, 75 years in time? You know, the building was old, the songs that they, they sang, it was just kind of, different from what you hear in your culture then, the, you know, the, the people just were to, you know what I'm talking about? That, that can happen sometimes, and it's like, I feel like I've stepped into another planet here, and I, and I don't relate, I don't understand. It's important for us when it comes to uh, how we do things, types of music that we do, communication techniques, you know, building setup, how things look, all of those things are important to helping to establish common ground. So that the goal, ultimately the goal is that it kind of breaks down those barriers, right? And it, and it opens the door of people's hearts would be more open to what God wants to communicate to them. That's, that's the goal. And by the way, one of the things that's really, really important to me along those lines, another reason I, I want that to be the case is that, that we are really serious about wanting you to invite people to come to church with you. And the last thing in the world, I mean, I, I abhor the thought of you inviting someone to church, them coming with you, and then you being embarrassed by what they experience when they get here. That, that is a thought that's like, I, I can't deal with that, right? I want you to invite. I want you, knowing that when somebody comes with you, you're going to be like, yeah, this, you know, this is going to connect with them. They are going to understand. Our people are going to put them at ease and welcome them and make them feel like they're part of the family. That, that, that's all important stuff. So... This sounds like a lot of work to do. It, if it does, it, it kind of is. <laughs> it, it does kind of take some effort. In fact, go, let me go back to verse 18 where we, uh, or actually verse 19, I said verse 18, but verse 19 where he said, Though I am free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I mean, here's the bottom line, guys, that, that we have this message to share, and it does require some sacrifice on our part. It does. And so we do need to go out of our way to remove barriers. We need to go out of our way to communicate clearly. We need to go out of our way to 
to be able to establish common ground. If it sounds like a lot of work, sometimes it is. But that's the message that we have been entrusted with. Going back to what we said last week, we are, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. And that's a great privilege and great responsibility for us to take on. But let me also read the last verse once again that we read earlier. Not only is it a privilege, but listen to this. I mean, a responsibility, but it's a privilege as well. Verse 23 says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. I may share in its blessings. As there's no greater privilege than to be able to see God's message, this gospel message, transform a person's life and to know that I have been a part of that process. And ultimately, we know only God changes people. I, I get all that. But I'm saying that God works through individuals as well. Maybe it means I've invited that person to church. Maybe it means I have shared the good news with that person. Maybe I've been able to lead someone to faith in Christ. And I see the difference that it makes in their life. I see the peace that comes over them. I see how their family begins to be transformed. I, I see how their, their kids begin to have a hunger for God that they never had before. That is an incredible, incredible privilege that we have. And so, yes, it's a lot of hard work. It's going to take some effort. It's going to be, take some expense as a, on a church front. It's going to take some time, all those things. But ultimately, it's worth it because the ultimate goal is we want to see God do a work in people's lives. And we get to know that we've been a part of that. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for that privilege of, of being a part of your work. My prayer today, Lord, is that those of us that, that would identify ourselves as your children would be very intentional about taking this good news and sharing it, but doing it in a way that people can understand and relate to. Lord, as a church body, um, we pray that you will help us to, to reach our community. Help us to, to relate well to our community and our culture, ultimately, so that the message can come through. And so you can do the work to transform hearts that you want to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today I want to just encourage you to continue to be bold in looking for opportunities for God to work through you. I know this message today is kind of geared more toward those that would identify already uh, as followers of Christ. Let me encourage you, um, invite people to church. Share that good news. Be bold. If, if somebody's not receptive, that's okay. But just continue in love to look for opportunities to share who God is and maybe to invite somebody to come with you. And let me remind you again of the tool uh, that is a great digital tool, and that is just the, the, the little website, gatewayinvite.com. If you'll send that to somebody in a text message, it'll pull up um, a, a little invitation to the church. So that, that's just one way you can do that. But just continue to be bold.